Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And was it a crazy week in the world of MMA? We had the crazy Pettis knockout. We've had all kinds of nutty Conor McGregor shit going on. We've got TJ Dillashaw testing positive for steroids, matchmaking in the flyweight division, back and forth. It is insane. We'll talk about it all. And... On top of all of that, of course, we got UFC in Philadelphia this week. We're talking to three of the fighters from that card. We're talking to Ray Borg, Josh Emmett, and Kennedy Zachuku, all about their upcoming fights. And, of course, it would not be one of our episodes without our famous Combat Countdown. We will be talking in honor of Justin Gaethje main eventing this weekend. We'll be talking about the top five favorite slugfests in the history of MMA. That's right, our top five favorite fights where the fighters just threw down. So, we'll be getting to all of that and more. But before we do, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to ADK Fightwear for the only company that gives you high quality BJJ gear at low, low prices. Look, a lot of times I've been out there trying to look for inexpensive BJJ gear. I find some stuff and within a week, the letters are coming off of it or the stitches are coming out of it or it's got these big, gross, nasty pills. The colors fade. You know the deal. You've been there before too. But then I go around and I look for some high quality stuff and it costs me 75 or 80 bucks. Now you can get both all at the drop of a hat by going to ADK Fightwear. Use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, and you can get their Arm Bars and Stripes Rash Guard. It's a sweet rash guard that looks like it's got an American flag only using the jujitsu belts instead of actually stripes. You can get this cool-looking rash guard for just 20 bucks with that promo code, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase. You can get it for just 20 bucks, and let me tell you, I've rolled in this thing hundreds of times. The colors still look bright. The stitches held up. It looks phenomenal still. So check out what I mean and check out their whole line at adkfightwear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby reeling with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Ray Borg, who fights Kyler Phillips this weekend at UFC on ESPN in Philadelphia. Ray, I wanted to start by talking about the fact that you are moving up to Bantamweight for this fight. Can, can you give us some of the reasoning behind why you decided to move up to 135? Yeah, you know, um, the choice was made by myself, my manager, Ali, and uh, my coaches, you know, I uh, my body isn't quite the same as what it was when I was 20 years old. My body's changing. Um, I'm getting older, and uh, it's just getting harder and harder and a little bit more damaging on my health to keep coming, cutting to 25. Each weight cut, that cut gets a little bit harder, a little bit harder. So, you know, we we all sat down and made the decision that, it'd be best to move up to 135. You know, I'm a lot healthier right now. I'm a lot happier. This is the first camp I've actually been able to train and only train, not have to worry about train all day and then go sit in the sauna at night just to, you know, lose the weight. So I, you know, I think it's been a great decision. So a lot of it was personally based. Cause I was wondering too, with the status of the current flyweight division, th- did that play at all into it? The fact that it seems like flyweight seems like it's thinning out. Um, no, I mean, we, we knew that's what was going to happen. Um, to be truly honest, we kind of had planned on moving up to 35 regardless. And, and also, you know, with the stake of the flyweight division, we had also talked about if that had presented itself to move up to 35 because of the shutting down of the flyweight division, we obviously said we'd move up to 35, but the, the more health, factor of it came before the closure of the division well that's good to hear too now I, I know you haven't fought in a year and a half and some of it is like you said medical issues for yourself there were some medical issues for your son how, how does it feel being back in training camp like you said it, it's one of those opportunities where you're finally feeling good and you're not having to jump into the sauna but how, how do you feel physically at 35 I feel I feel great. I'm I'm really excited about how this fight's going to play out and how future fights are going to play out primarily because I just I feel so much stronger, so much healthier. I don't feel depleted on energy. I'm not having to 
you know, take extra pre-workout or, you know, extra amino acids or anything like that for energy, my body just naturally has the energy to train and to perform. So, you know, I'm really excited about it. Awesome. And and now I know you got a late opponent change here. You're fighting Kyler Phillips on only about two weeks notice when you, your first opponent dropped out. Is there anything you had to do to change and how you're preparing for him? Or was he, you know, enough like your previous opponent to sort of keep the, the status quo? You know, he, uh, he's a, he's, he's a talented kid. He's real tough and, uh, you know, not too many adjustments had to have been made to, to this fight camp. You know, we, we were going into the original matchup with just a uh, go with the float type matchup, you know, whether, you know, um, we were going to keep it standing or go to the ground. It was more of a just go with what your gut said type fight. And with this fight, you know, same thing, not a whole lot of adjustments. You know, he's a real uh, a fancy striker. He likes spins and stuff. But, you know, some of my previous uh, opponents, you know, all translate into certain things. You know, DJ was fast. Uh, you know, when I fought Justin Scoggins, Justin Scoggins threw so much spinning shit that it was, you know, it was, I, I learned to develop a, a great defense for that type of spin attacks. And, you know, as far as the height, I fought in dudes taller than this guy. So, you know, there wasn't too much adjustments mentally, just a couple of little, you know, adjustments in camp about maybe what we're going to do, what obviously we need to look out for. But, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't too much of a hassle. And so you said, too, that you were kind of going with the go-with-the-flow mentality. Have you found moving up to 35 and feeling, you know, more energy that there's a part of your game that has benefited the most? Yeah, I definitely think that my uh, my wrestling and my grappling is probably going to be the most beneficial, primarily because I'm not expelling so much energy, you know, in the grappling department. Because although, you know, I have cardio for days at flyweight, you know, I've always, you know, had a little bit of muscle fatigue during fights and kind of just had to, you know, gut through it and things like that, primarily from the weight cut and from depriving our, my body so much during camp. But, you know, with uh, with the weight, with moving up in weight, my body's just so much more energized that in the grappling department, I have more more energy to go and more more stamina to keep grappling in those exchanges and wrestling and so on and so forth. Well, that's certainly exciting to hear. Now, I want to talk about you in this new division other than, you know, the physical aspect because I want to know where you feel like you fit in this division because obviously in the featherweight division, which is a division you were in for, you know, your entire stint in the UFC, you are constantly at the top of it. I mean, if you look at the UFC rankings right now, you're number three at flyweight. Where do you feel like you fit in bantamweight? Do you feel like you're starting from square one or do you feel like a lot of those achievements at flyweight ought to apply to what you could do at bantamweight? You know, I think uh, I think to a certain extent, maybe skill level wise, um, the you know being at the top of the flyweight division for so long could translate into thirty five pound division skill set wise. But it's a whole new ball game with the size of these guys. You know, I uh, I think I fought a couple thirty, I, I fought a couple twenty fivers in the UFC that were good size. Like Justin Scoggins was good size. Uh, you know, Lewis Smoka was good size. Dustin Ortiz, good size, but, you know, Formiga was small, Demetrius was small, you know, a lot of these guys were just normal 25ers, so, you know, that's, I guess that's in the sense where I'm starting from square one is, um, although my scales translate into a high level at 35, you know, obviously they want to see how I do with the weight and the, and the size difference, which, you know, I don't believe will be even be a little bit of a problem. I mean, I've never really even trained with 25ers my entire career. I fought at 35er. I fought 35ers before my third UFC. And I'm sorry, my third pro fight. I fought a 145er coming down to 35. Who at the time was like the the regional guy around here. He was like 12 and three. I was only three and zero, oh, and I had no problem with that. And I was only a, a 19 year old kid when that happened. So, you know, I actually and want to look at it as a fresh start. You know, with uh, the way my career had a bunch of lumps in it at 25 with, you know, weight issues, health issues. So I'm, I'm okay with starting back at a, at square one with this, you know, I, I'm going to consider it as a, a fresh start, a fresh run. And, uh, you know, to take it and I'll take out whoever they, they want me to, to prove that, you know, that I'm good enough to be a 35er. Well, I certainly love that mentality. Now, obviously, like I said before, you haven't fought in almost a year and a half, with that being said, do you have plans for, for 2019? Do you plan on fighting two, three times, or does it really all depend on how this one goes? 
I think it all really depends on how this one goes. You know, obviously, if I win this fight, then I can, you know, definitely count on fighting maybe two more times this year. I definitely think that if I completely just blow this guy out of the water, then, you know, maybe more fights are, are on the table for uh, 2019. But, you know, I'm just looking to get to this fight. You know, I'm, I'm excited. It's been a while. I've been through a bunch of fight camp, but, you know, I've only, I haven't only have had a fight since Demetrius. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to, to just go in there and, and finally fight, you know, not just go through a fight camp. I'm excited to fight. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what they want to do after this. Well, and we're certainly excited to see you fight, too. Now, before I let you go, I did want to ask you a question because there is a bit of news at the top of the Bantamweight division right now. TJ Dillashaw recently uh, popped positive for something uh, on a USADA test during his last fight down in your old weight class and has since relinquished the title. So you're fighting in a division where there is no title. Now, obviously, like you said, you're starting from the bottom square up. But what are sort of your thoughts on the top of your division being so up in the air? Um, You know, it's... uh. It's it's any man's game right now, you know. I mean, Tita is a very talented fighter, and it's very unfortunate that this happened. But you know, at the same time, uh, you know, it is what it is. People got to be more responsible of what they put in their body. You know, I don't even take over the counter medicine without contacting Musada because I'll be damned if I'm one of those guys that accidentally took a supplement that was tainted. You know, and, uh, it, it's it's just really hard to say almost just because you feel for these guys who had no no like um harm trying to do with their with their supplements like these guys aren't intentionally doing it and you feel for them because like damn they got got hit with the nine month suspension when they weren't intentionally trying to take steroids but at the same time you know it's the same thing that's wrong with this whole generation is no one wants to hold themselves accountable and so these guys just got to be more responsible about what they put in their body and you know the you know, I'm not going to say that I'm not surprised with the whole TJ thing. You know, it's always been up in the air. There's always been rumors about him taking steroids, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, you know, he didn't do himself any justice when they posted that picture of him cutting down the flyweight. And there was a whole countertop full of, I shit you not, like 30 pills. I'm sure you've seen the pictures. And, you know, one of those had to have had something in it. And that's just the shitty part is, is you know, if that's the case, then he's going to have to go through a whole lot of supplements to find out what was tainted, you know? Absolutely. And I, I do like that, that take too, to make sure that you know what's going into your body. Ray, we, we really thank you for the time. We super appreciate it. Once again, Ray Borg fights Kyler Phillips this weekend at UFC on ESPN in Philadelphia. Thanks again, Ray. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Josh Emmett, who fights Michael Johnson this weekend at UFC on ESPN in Philadelphia. Uh, Josh, let's talk about uh, your the time since your last fight. It's been a year off since a kind of a hard loss to Jeremy Stevens. You, you had a meteoric rise up the featherweight division. Uh, wound up getting Jeremy Stevens, kind of a tough KO loss. Give us a glimpse of what that year has been like since the last time we've seen you in the cage. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, from uh, like a personal standpoint, it was it was a good year, but from a competitive standpoint, probably one of the, the lows in uh, my MMA career. Uh, I suffered several injuries that I've, I've talked about a ton, and uh, it took me a while just to recover and get back to feeling feeling okay and and at some point i felt like man is this ever going to go away am i ever going to be able to fight again but uh eventually those symptoms subsided and uh, i was back in the gym and and now the benefit of that i guess i always try to find something positive out of it and uh just giving myself you know 13 months i haven't fought for 13 months so giving myself the necessary time to let my body just recover uh because i've been fighting in the ufc injured my whole career except my first fight in the ufc so so you say that just about every single or a hundred percent of the times you fought it's been injured how many of those injuries were uh you know how significant would you say they were um i'll say they were pretty significant you know my my first fight in the ufc was against john tuck on a four-day notice that was the only time i felt like a hundred percent other than that i had uh man let's see my second fight was against Scott Holtzman. I I basically ran on a treadmill and just you know I sparred here and there and just boxed because I uh, I had separated my AC joint and it was like 
borderline grade threes almost need surgery, but it, it bothered me. So I couldn't grapple. I couldn't wrestle. Um, I really couldn't do anything. And then, you know, I had a, a elbow injury and, and I suffered a rib injury in that, that fight. So I, I fought Desmond green next. Um, and then shortly after that, I had elbow surgery before I fought Felipe Arantes. I, you know, I sprained my MCL, but it was just like ongoing, just always something going on. And that's just the, the nature of the game. You know, we're in a, it's a, it's a tough career and in, in a lot of fighters are never a hundred percent, but I felt like I was, you know, they weren't just little bumps and bruises. They were significant um, injuries. But again, I got to the UFC and, you know, you don't fight, you don't get paid. So I, I, I got these opportunities. I, I wanted to take them and I'm not one to, you know, back out of a fight unless I'm like seriously injured. And that was actually when I was going to go fight in Vancouver, I separated my AC joint, like literally seven days before and I couldn't even pick my arm up. So um, I was doing everything possible to try to get a cortisone shot and do all this with my coaches. And they're like, you're not fighting. So, which was a smart thing. Yeah, absolutely. A smart thing. I was wondering, do you, do you feel any regret that that's how you did it? Obviously, you know, like you said, you did get the payday and all of that, but do you feel like your career would be different if, you know, maybe you, you skipped one of those fights where your MCL was messed up or your AC joint was messed up? No, no, everything, it all worked out in my favor, you know, and then even I got the Llamas fight on, three week notice and, and that went well for me. And then the, the Stevens fight, it was just, you know, just, it wasn't a good night for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. And and now, so you, you say you're a hundred percent now or feel a hundred percent now, how, how much better do you feel than all of those other times? Are we going to see a completely different Josh Emmett here? Or is this more about just being able to get the full level of training before you get to the fight? Yeah, I, I feel great. You know, it's uh, like I said, I, I was, I wasn't able to do the things that got me in the UFC. Once I got in the UFC, I was running on a treadmill, just losing weight, just working some drills. But now I'm back to what got me there. I'm at every practice, two, three practices a day. I feel great. I'm, I'm working a lot of, um, just a lot of things. And, and not only does my body feel great, but then, you know, mentally, physically, and just, uh, I, I just got back to what got me to the UFC and, and I'm hoping that comes out in the, the best Josh Emmett shows up March 30th. Absolutely. And and now the, the division looks kind of different from the time that you left 13 months ago. And, and since you've last been in the cage, we now have two different guys who've passed you in the rankings as you've been, you know, sort of stagnant in Alexander Volkanovsky, who's a, an up and comer and Zabit Megamed Sharapov. Have you been keeping an eye on the division? And if so, what do you think of some of these like new up and comers that have sort of uh, leapfrogged you while you were out? Yeah, no, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a huge fan of the sport. So I watch all the fights and especially I, I keep a, a closer eye on my division and yeah, they're, they're, they're good fighters. I, I can't really say much more. They're, they're super well-rounded. They come from good camps, have good coaches, a good training partners. So yeah, it's, it's been uh, interesting just watching how everything kind of develops and just watching people, um, yeah, just climb up the ladder. Yep. And so speaking of climbing up the ladder, this is an opportunity for you to climb back up the ladder. You're fighting Michael Johnson this weekend. So, some people have said before that Michael Johnson sort of has a little bit of a similar style to you. He's a former wrestler with really strong boxing. He's got a KO win over Dustin Poye. You've got a KO win over Ricardo Lamas. How do you prepare for somebody who you think who might fight somewhat like you? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, that's why I took the fight, just because, you know, I want to fight people in front of me or I want to fight bigger names. And, you know, I got offered someone in front of me. Unfortunately, he, he got injured. Whatever happened, the fight didn't go through. And then they threw out Michael Johnson's name. And I was like, I want that fight because he has the biggest name. He's a He's a veteran of the sport. He has huge wins, like you said, over like some of the – the top fighters and he's fought some of the best. So I think our styles stylistically match up. Well, he's an athletic guy. We're both athletic, super athletic. You know, I feel like I'm a little more powerful. He's fast. Um, yeah, we both kind of come from the, the same wrestling background and I love the box. He loved the box. And, you know, but the thing is he, he doesn't really have to prove anything. Not that I do either, but I just feel like, you know, it's just, it's my time. I feel like I have to go in there and just, you know, put on a great performance, get a big win over such a, you know, a, a seasoned bet. And uh, I'll be right back in the mix where I was. 
And so you said a lot of those things, right? Like, he, he's got a similar style to you. He's very athletic. He likes to box just like you do. Where do you think you hold the biggest advantage of those places? Um, I, I would say just my, my power. And he, he's a, a taller, longer fighter, you know, and I know he's going to be uh, you know, keeping the distance, keeping his range. But I feel like, I just feel like my, my power is just, I don't know. I, I, I literally just have to land one shot. Like it's going to be a 15 minute fight. I only have to one land one big shot and, and that could be a wrap. Um, but you know, he could, he could end the fight at any moment also. And he, he's, he's proved that in the past. So we'll, uh, we'll have to find out. That's the only way, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, I can't ever, you know, I don't like to give predictions or anything because it's, it's unknown. That's why I love this. You know, it's, 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 it's like a coin flip. We're both standing on our feet. It's 50, 50 who can land a shot first, you know, but that's when I have to mix up everything I've been working and, and just implement my game plan and, and do whatever I have to do to come out victorious. Mm-hmm. And I know you're keeping an eye on the top of that division, which is kind of muddled at the moment too, with Max Holloway going up to lightweight and nobody really knowing what they're going to do with his title next and whether or not he's going to come back and defend it. What happens if he wins? What happens if he loses? What are your thoughts on that matchup? As somebody in the division, do you hope he wins and stays up there? Or do you hope, you know, he loses and all of a sudden the, the featherweight belt is sort of, you know, up for grabs or he's shown some weaknesses? Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't wish anyone to ever lose. So it's, uh, I think it's good for him. You know, it's, uh, it's the opportunity that it's a win-win for him. He, if he goes up to lightweight and he, he wins, he becomes the interim lightweight champ and then he'll get to unify his belt when Khabib comes back, which will just be more money for him. If he loses, he still has his featherweight title. Um, so it's a great opportunity. If I was in his position, I think with anyone else, uh, that fights, they would take that in a heartbeat. Um, also, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, so it's, it's a great opportunity, and, and the number one contender still Jose Aldo. They don't, I don't think they want to do a, a third fight between them. So with that Volkanovski fight and Aldo, if Volkanovski were to beat Aldo, uh, then they would have a, I believe, a new number one contender, and they could make a matchup there. But we'll just kind of have to see how things play out. But great opportunity, good for him. Yeah, and, so, and so, I can't so, knock anyone's success or anything. So you sort of outlined Volkanovski's path to being the number one contender, and, and you said that you should be right back where you left off with the win here against Michael Johnson. So how many wins does that put Josh Emmett away from the title picture? Because seemingly if you had beaten you know, Jeremy Stevens, if that, if that fight had gone your way, you would have been just as close as, as uh, Volkanovski, no? Yeah, no, I believe so. You know, I, I feel like if I would have beat Jeremy Stevens, I would have been you know one one more fight possibly away from the title shot. So I feel like with a big win over Michael Johnson, uh, it puts me right back to where I'm at and then possibly one, two fights maybe. But you, like I always say, you never know with the division depending on injuries or if something were to come up. Uh, it, you know, if I beat Michael Johnson, beat someone else, and then say someone got injured for the title and my name was thrown out there, I'll do whatever I can campaign to get that. So, so you do really never know. Um, but I'm really just focused on just Michael Johnson right now and then, you know, after I get my hand raised, then I'll, I'll see what's next. And we're certainly looking forward to that fight. Once again, this is Josh Emmett, who fights Michael Johnson this weekend at UFC on ESPN in Philadelphia. Josh, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Dan. And those interviews with Josh Emmett and Ray Borg were brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon is the one and only BJJ social media app for your smartphone. Look, we've all been on Facebook, we've all been on Twitter, and those things are bogged down with political arguments and your grandma's mad about this thing that your cousin did. No more. Instead, just get the stuff you really care about, which is jujitsu. You get this app, you download it, you put together your whole profile. You can put in your weight, your belt color, where your home gym is, all that kind of stuff. You can line up all of your friends, get them all on the app too. And then we can see what everybody's doing workout-wise. You can see who's training what, where they're training, who's cross-training places. I like to use it for its notes function because after I train, I like to remember a couple of the small things. Like if I'm supposed to pinch my elbows more on a darts choke or something, all of that can go right in the app. Plus, there's other spots where you can put really cool things like competitions. You can look up friends of friends. It is an amazing app. Check it out wherever you find your apps, whether it's on iTunes or Google Play or all that kind of stuff. 
M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon. You're going to love it. Now, I, of course, am Daniel Gumby, and joined here by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's talk about Ray Borg. How do you think this guy's going to fare in the stacked Bantamweight division? You know what? I'm very excited for Ray Borg and his chances in the stacked UFC Bantamweight division. And let's make no mistake, it is a stacked division. At this point, with 125 folding and you figure Cejudo coming up, guys like Borg, I mean, it just got double-stacked. It's a double-stacked division. Do I think Borg is a future champion at 135? Not comfortable saying that yet. Do I think he is a top-10 talent at 135 and potentially a one uh, top-five talent if he goes on a run? Yeah, I could actually see that. Yeah, and there's a lot of interesting matchups, too, and because Borg is kind of more of a grapple-heavy fighter, too, I'm interested to see how he matchups with most of that division because most of that division I don't think of as being like wrestle friendly. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, Pedro Munoz is a good grappler, but he's not like a wrestler. Um, you know, Marlon Marias probably can wrestle, but we haven't really seen much of him wrestling lately. You know, so a lot of the people who are at the top of that division, you know, I mean, TJ Dillashaw can wrestle, but doesn't look like we'll see him for a while. Um, a lot of guys at that top of the division seem like they might be able to be out-wrestled by Ray Borg. Yeah, and that's what I like, what he brings to the table. And you're right, that is, uh, and it's probably because, you know, it was the Dom and TJ division for so long. You better pack a lunch pail, and you better pack high-level striking at the top of that division. But it will be interesting to see if Borg could kind of become a wrestling specialist and take a, you know, take that talent to the top. Uh, Gumby, let's go around, uh, the league, the UFC, of course, uh, we'll do our favorite segment on the show, or at least tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's the fastest fight news, all the news delivered in 15 minutes or less, or the podcast is free. And I could think of no better place to start, but Anthony fucking Showtime Pettis just knocked out seven, Stephen Thompson. Uh, and it really wasn't just, it was actually a couple of days ago by the time this podcast drops, but what a performance second round KO with about 10 seconds to go on the bell, Superman punch. He was a big dog about three to one, four to one in some books. What'd you make of the performance and what's next for Pettis? Uh, I love the performance because, uh, for a couple of reasons, one is it, it, it was being billed as like a striker strike up ma- matchup, but really what it wound up being was karate versus taekwondo matchup right and you got that like quintessential taekwondo punch to end it to which to me was just so fucking awesome also i i don't think people realize how crazy it is that Wonderboy thompson got knocked out because the dude has had like 50 something fucking kickboxing matches kickboxing. and yeah. then he had another 19 mma matches and he's never been knocked out in any of them so for this to have happened is absolutely insane. In for for my money right now, the fucking knockout of the year. So yeah, and so crazy too, right? Because uh, it was back to back with um, Game Bread, yeah. not yeah, Masvidal knocking out Till. Now, why I call Pettis the knockout of the year was it was one punch. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I think of with a KO. Whereas I feel like with Game Bread, it was the three-piece combo and the soda. Not taking anything away from that, it was cool AF, but I just like the Pettis one. It was a Superman punch. It's almost straight out of a comic book. Now, I am so happy for Anthony Pettis. I've always been a longtime fan. He's really struggled the past couple of years. Guys have been able to wrestle him up against the fence, grind him out. He uh, popped a rib in a really good fight against Poirier, which I think Poirier was on his way to winning. And then, of course, he broke his hand in that wild fight with Tony Ferguson. I'm going to throw a little cold water on this. I think shit happens. I think he's still good enough to be deadly. I think he's going to be undersized at 170. Imagine him versus Usman. I mean, if he had trouble with... Go ahead. I I think it's it's the worst possible division for him. It is a division filled with wrestlers, right? Like, RDA wrote the book on how to beat him down at, at 155. RDA is in the 170 division now, right? Like, Tyron Woodley is a fucking nightmare for him. Kamara Usman yeah. is a fucking nightmare for him. Nightmare ben Askren for him. is a Colby fucking nightmare. Covington. Colby Covington. Colby Covington. The whole division is filled a... with dudes who can out-wrestle him. So, like, so uh, here... use this momentum, go back down, fight somebody like Cowboy Cerrone. Exactly. I was actually going to say something kind of opposite. Use this momentum, 
maybe get like a Connor tune-up fight. We'll talk about that in a second. Like let Connor tune up on Anthony Pettis before he potentially rechallenges for the title. Or Cowboy Cerrone, you could do it at 170, so they don't have a huge weight cut. You could do it at 155. I don't really care. Maybe at best, I see Pettis versus Jorge Masvidal. I like that matchup at 170. But other than that, what we just outlined, I don't think Pettis is going to have an easy time at 170. So I hate to be that guy, but got to throw a little cold water on the prospects of him staying at 170. But hats off to him. We'll keep on moving. Uh, speaking of Conor McGregor, he sent a cryptic retirement tweet. Most people aren't really buying it. Feels like a pro wrestling angle if you ask this guy. What do you make of the cryptic retirement tweet? And uh, we'll, we'll get to the second part of the story in a second. What do you make of the cryptic retirement tweet? So for the cryptic retirement speech, I think it proves that right now he's negotiating a fight. The only mm. other time that's ever happened was when he was negotiating Nate 2. And, mm-hmm. and, and to me, it seems so similar to the Nate 2. And, and I'm not the first person to point this out. It's all fucking over Twitter. People just showing that other tweet where he said, uh, what was it, thanks for the cheese? Thanks for the cheese. I love that quote, yeah. Yeah, so the, it, it feels a lot like the thanks for the cheese one, and it's just showing that he's, like, in negotiations. The UFC didn't give him the number he wanted, and he's like, well, I am willing to, to walk, and the proof is I will tweet it. <laughs> yeah, I you know, and it also came out, Joe Rogan revealed on a fight companion, and then Dana White semi-confirmed it, that they wanted to put him on International Fight Week as the co-main event. He said no. That's absolutely crazy to me. I don't even care what the title fight is. But being that he would be the one to carry those pay-per-view buys, he's the main event. And I'm a, you know, I'm a sport purist. I would want the championship to maybe go last. But if it came down to you were going to pay him as a co-main versus a main, that's just complete bullshit. And if you really had to cave on it and just make him go last, who fucking cares? You're talking about whether he fights fourth or fifth on a pay-per-view show that he's going to sell the most. So anyway, I agree. I think it was typed in the negotiation. Now, the other story to come out, as reported by the New York Times, don't know if you ever heard of it, uh, and this has been out on the internet. We've been conspiracy theorists on our Twitter feed, at Top Turtle MMA, about this. A lot of UK news, uh, news sites were reporting on this back in January. Conor McGregor is actually, uh, I guess, a suspect in a potential rape charge that took place at the end of 2018. Of course, Irish law doesn't allow you to name anyone, but they did confirm it was a big sports star. New York Times picked up on it. What do you think on this? So it's interesting. They actually, I saw a report, and maybe it's it's incorrect. I couldn't necessarily tell what was true about all of this story and what wasn't because I wasn't really following it. But I did see that they took him in custody back in january of 2018 and nothing came from it It, at least that's my understanding or maybe it was wait january january of 2019 january of 2019 correct yep sorry i got the year wrong yeah january of this year they took him into custody and nothing came of it and now they're just still like trying to put together the pieces um I, i have no idea how the irish courts work um and i don't have any idea how ireland's system works so, to me, that, that usually seems like a, a flag that if he did do something, you know, in the United States, if he was brought in for questioning and then nothing came of it, and now we're four months later talking about it, we're just trying to drum up anything about it, because I, I don't think it's that's much of a story in the U.S. Maybe it is in Ireland, but again, I don't know how their courts work. Yeah, we're not smart enough to know that, so <laughs> we'll just keep on moving. What I will say, though, in the larger picture is, and I think I said this on previous shows, um, and I believe you agreed. Uh, I don't, you know, over under does Conor McGregor fight three more times? I'm taking the under and I'm betting my whole life savings, my house, everything I own on that. I think at best we're getting one to two more. These things keep popping up. The time in between fights keeps growing. So the, the money at the he's very least, outside of the game is growing too. You know, like he, yeah. he he relies less on the money that fighting brings him. And as a result, I think we're going to see him less. And yeah, I would say one or two more times. And, and I, I can't necessarily blame him. Like, what else does he have to prove? All right. So now let's say he's not a convicted rape felon. And, you know, fuck him if he is. Hope kids aren't listening right now. But let's just say he's the Conor McGregor we all know and love. 
if you had to write the history book for him, who are the two people you give him? Let's just say you get two more fights out of him. Well, in your perfect scenario, who does he go out on? Uh, I'd like to see, I, I do want to see the cowboy fight, but I'll say the winner of cowboy and Ayakita. That's what I'll start wait, with. Wait, hold on. Let's hold on. Wait, back up. Do you need me to answer this first? Are you really telling me that I just said to you, you get two more Conor McGregor fights and Al Ayakinta is yes. on your top two? I'm, I'm going to be wow. honest. I, I want to see the winner of that fight, Conor. And here's, <laughs> here's why I want to see that, right? You're going to come at me and you're going to say, he needs to fight GSP and Habib again, right? Or he needs to fight uh, GSP and Tyrone Woodley. We know what GSP would do to him. GSP would take him down and lay on him. And, and if I'm writing the end of Conor McGregor's career, I don't want to see it. Uh, it, it. From a person who's enjoyed watching him fight and want to see, like, Conor fight again, I, I don't want to see the Conor in bottom control getting rear naked choked. Right? Like, freaking GSP's rear naked choke 185-pounders. We're going to put him in there with a 155-pounder who definitely wouldn't be able to defend himself against him at 170. I, I want to see him against some boxers. I want to see him against kickboxers. I want to see that kind of shit all over. Okay. I mean, listen, I love Ally Akinta. He's just not in my top two. So similarly, no, I do not want to see Khabib or GSP wrestle fuck him. GSP especially because I think he's so big. Um, I The Khabib fight, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'd buy it. I'd watch it again. I'd like to see. I'd buy both their pay-per-views. Both the GSP oh, and the Habib one, I would buy. I'd just be real bummed that I already knew the outcome. Right. I, but I wouldn't mind seeing Connor just get that shot at Habib's chin again. I think now knowing what he knows from the first one and also um, as uh, uh, why am I blanking on his coach's name right now? Uh, uh, John Kavanaugh. Jeez. Mm. Wow. It's been a long day. Uh, as John Kavanaugh said, they're a little too defensive. Uh, just, you know, they played the game very cautiously, which I liked, but he said maybe they would, you know, try to explode out a little more in those early rounds and then just go for the knockout. Of course, that's hindsight being 2020. I'm not opposed to the Khabib fight, but here's what I would actually like. I would like Justin Gaethje, just oh, from God. a really, really reckless style. And I would also like the Max rematch because I like it more so for Max than for Connor. Cause I think we still have a lot of life left in Max. Mm -hmm. And I think for Max to get that win, get that rub, as we say in professional wrestling, I think that'd be really big for him. And it just kind of completes like a full circle sort of story, um, on the Max Holloway side of things. Yeah. So I like them. I, yeah. I was going to throw in Tony Ferguson there, too, because that's just a I violent like that match too. for me, and, oh, and I would enjoy yeah. that. You know, sp speaking of that, I got to tell you, I will be very bummed out if we don't get, when this is all said and done, Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. Ooh, I have never even thought of that matchup, to be honest <laughs> with you, and it's so good. <laughs> yeah, Tony Ferguson like... versus anybody is so good. Like, get well soon, um, Tony Ferguson. I know you got some shit going on, but for fuck's sake, I love watching Tony Ferguson. All right. I think we're running, uh, bordering on going over our 15 minutes, so we'll hit on the last two rather quickly. The UFC hired some women featherweights. What's up with that? Yeah, that's crazy. Felicia Spencer got hired, and it looks like she's going to be fighting Megan Anderson, and they also picked up Bay Malecki from um, the episode of Tough, and she's going to be fighting a brazilian gal i saw it listed on twitter from uh nolan king if you're you guys check out nolan king on twitter the dude has got the all the late breaking news and shit man it's good to see that they care about filling out this division because it, it seems so half-hearted at first and now that they're filling it out i'm into it yeah absolutely i'm i'm totally not mad at it and i gotta tell you we might have talked about this off air and i wanted to bring it up on air the ESPN era is fucking lit. It's great, man. <laughs> Such a better match. Maybe we did talk about this. Fuck it. We'll talk about it again, even if it was on the show. It's so much better. It's a better matchup than the Fox era. And they've been blessed. Like, every week has been a great main event this year. I can't remember a run where it's just been, like, week after week of these fucking great fights. And you know what else I think it is, too? I think when the UFC moved from, like, the you know, 25, 30 shows a year because they were doing one pay-per-view and then maybe like a fight night per month, mm -hmm. and they bumped it up to 40. I think fans really got burnt out. They're like, oh, my God, this is too much UFC. Oh, my God, this card sucks. 
And I feel like we're about, I think that started around 2014-ish, right at like the peak of Ronda Connor era. I think now that we're so used to it, I think fans' expectations are better, where they're just like, oh shit, it's Saturday night, there's some UFC on, oh, that main event's awesome, okay, I don't know like a ton of these guys, but maybe there'll be a good fight. I feel like fans have kind of warmed up to the idea of so many fucking cards, and I just think the UFC is doing a better job of making those cards have better main events. I feel like in like 2015, 2016, I don't know if you recall like the era I'm talking about, and I wish I could come up with better examples off the top of my head, but I feel like there would be these fight nights where I'm just like, is this really necessary? Like, why do we have to have this fight night? I have not felt that way this year. Everything has been great. Yeah, I agree with that too. And I also think they're doing a little bit better of a job if you're following them on social media, hyping up uh, some of those lower card guys and making Mm -hmm. you feel excited about them. Like I've seen two or three different videos or things uh, retweeted from the UFC or put up by the UFC about Bryce Mitchell after this past weekend. And and Bryce Mitchell made a fan of me because I was watching. But for those that weren't watching, getting to see his post-fight interview, which was great, and then hearing him talk about the camo shorts and talking to the UFC and talking to Reebok about getting them, Dude, like, they've done a really good job of showing that he's fun. And I just watched the highlight package after them giving him uh, Fight of the Night. So props to them for also making us care about some of those, like, lower card guys, which they used to suck at. Uh, You know, I I, I said this last year, and I'll keep saying it. When people like Darren Ravel of ESPN try to tell you the UFC is in trouble because – Connor's on his way out and Brock pop for steroids and Ronda Rousey does wrestling. Now she's main eventing WrestleMania, by the way, I always thought that was bullshit because the, the sport turns over stars. It's just the nature of the beast. Like Bryce Mitchell, such a great example. Last week, he has a banger of a fight, a great post fight interview. And then you find out the story. Maybe some people knew it ahead of time. I found out afterwards. He was out a year because he had a power drill accident that, you know, ended up in his nutsack. Uh, just tremendous stuff. Like, that's really all – this is this is the formula the UFC, need, the UFC needs for a star. One, they need a good performance with a highlight reel KO. Two, they need a good backstory, power drill to the nuts. And three, they need a good in-octagon soundbite interview that they could play over and over again. If it's a good-looking guy or a good-looking girl in the Sage Northcutt, Paige Van Zant mold, all the better. But yeah. that's not where it starts. It's I, the I first three things I mentioned. I don't even think they – yeah, they need the good looks. I mean, look – not no offense to Derek Lewis. Look at what Derek Lewis did. He cut one promo and talked about his ball sack. I mean, maybe it's a ball sack thing that gets people famous. But he did that. He got super famous. And then uh, look at Israel Adesanya's in-ring promo. I mean, the dude is shot right up. So, yeah, I, I think he hit the nail on the head. It, it seems like good performance, hell of a promo, and stars will be born. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. All right, we spent too much time on the news. Let's move on to our other favorite segment on the show. It's the Combat Countdown. And this week, uh, in honor of Justin Gaethje fighting this weekend against Edson Barboso, which we ex- assume is going to be nothing short of incredible, we're going to give you the top five slugfests in UFC history. I don't know how we – actually, it's in MMA history, excuse me. I don't know how we narrowed this down. We, of course, asked for help on our Twitter feed, at Top Turtle MMA. Got some phenomenal feedback. And before we reveal this very tough list, probably the toughest list we've ever had to just pick five, uh, five on a list, I need to ask you, Gumby, does anyone bring us this combat countdown? Absolutely, this Combat Countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink all with that mouthguard up in your mouth. Let me tell you something. I roll with this every single week when I go to jiu-jitsu. It's got little perforations in it, so I don't have to stick my hand, my grubby hand that has been all over grappling mats, in my mouth to pull out my mouth guard so I can talk to somebody. Instead, I just leave it in there, take a swig of water, say what I have to say, and get back to rolling. You guys are going to love these things. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. Use promo code TOPTURTLE15 for 15% off that whole order. That's right, 15% off your whole order. All right. Take a swig of water right now if you need it because this was the toughest combat countdown we ever did. I can't believe we narrowed it down to five. If you love what we have as the top five, if you hate who we left off, hit us up at Top Turtle MMA. 
Let's start with number five. And then, of course, at the end, Gumby, we'll mention some of the incredible honorable mentions. But starting off our list, it's the Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia one at WEC 48. Yeah, I mandated that this had to be on the countdown because uh, when I was, I want to say I was in high school, I taped this on VHS uh, and (laughs) rewatched it about 37 times. Because, dude, this fight was absolutely insane. And, and the craziest part of it that comes out of it is that Zombie did this because he wanted to. It wasn't that he couldn't beat Leonard Garcia some other way. He just dropped his hands, threw down with Leonard Garcia in the most violent fashion he possibly could. Then when the UFC got both of them and made the rematch, he was like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. And just twisted the motherfucker. Which is incredible. <laughs> it's an absolutely incredible thing. So he did this because he wanted to, and he's like a tiny little violence monster. And I love the fact that that is how it went down. Is uh, was this the fight that actually like where his nickname was born, or was that maybe even earlier in his career? Do you know? I, I'm pretty sure it like it might have been his nickname already at that point, but I think it like took over then like people stop calling him chan sung jung and like some people don't even know his name is chan sung jung right like but i think that was the fight where everybody was like oh he's a zombie and just continued to only call him that i mean this might be a future combat countdown but that was also his debut in america so what a way to introduce yourself to the american audience he had only fought in japan and south korea up to that point all right so that's number five completely worthy of being on the list we get to number four very tough because this man had two <laughs> fights in the UFC that we had to consider, and we cut it down to this one, and it's really the reason we're doing this entire fucking combat countdown. It's in honor of Justin Gaethje. So number four, it's Justin Gaethje versus Eddie Alvarez at UFC 218. Yeah, and this is crazy that we picked the one where he doesn't win. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I fucking love Justin Gaethje because of fights like this. Like, Eddie Alvarez has proven time and time again that he's got the hands to put you down right? And Justin Gaethje just didn't give a fuck. If you look at his strikes absorbed per minute in his UFC career, it's over 10. That means every single minute he gets hit in the head or body 10 times. So to do that against Eddie Alvarez is fucking suicide. And it wound up being suicide, which is the sad part of it. But like he went toe to toe with him and not just from like striking range. He did it in the clinch it was freaking violence, and it was so good. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that fight. And there's something, I don't know, almost poetic about Alvarez winning just late. Uh, the two of them, you could tell, they had both emptied the gas tank, the proverbial gas tank. And it was just the will to win of Eddie Alvarez at that point. And that takes nothing away from Justin Gaethje. It could have gone either way. But if you haven't seen that fight, go watch it because it's two people just leaving it all in the cages, they say. Let's go to number three. He's a goddamn American hero. I don't know why they haven't started putting him in, like, shitty, you know, C-level action movies. But it's Dan Henderson versus Shogun the first time at UFC 139. Yeah, and if you've never seen this fight, I highly suggest going back to it. Because it is not only a top five slugfest. For me, it's a top five fight, period. <laughs> Because it was two guys, and, you know, you might say Dan Henderson was a little past his prime here, but this is Shogun coming right off KOing Forrest Griffin. They're main eventing a pay-per-view with it being a non-title fight because they're such big names. So it's five rounds of watching Dan Henderson and Shogun Hua just throw down in vicious fashion. Henderson landed a bunch of his overhand rights, and none of them put Shogun down. They woozied him, but both of them were woozy all throughout the fight. It was absolutely insane. Go back and watch it. November 2011, absolutely insane. 48-47 on every judge's scorecards to Dan Henderson. What a freaking fight. What a freaking fight. I mean, you bring up such a good point, too. You know, we we wanted to call this, like, the bombs away uh, combat countdown. So as much as, you know, my favorite fight of all time, Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler, that wasn't necessarily bombs away. It was more technical and definitely a dogfight, but it was a technical dogfight. Hendo Shogun, it's just a dogfight mm-hmm. from beginning to end, and uh, it's glorious to watch. We'll go to number two. 
This one not only a bombs away wild slugfest, it also has tons of historical importance. If you go to the UFC network right now, you could probably find seven documentaries about it. It's Bonner versus Griffin one at the tough one finale. Maybe you've heard of it before. Yeah. If you need me to describe this to you, you're really, it's shocking that you're listening to this episode uh, because I, I don't believe you're that big of a fan that you would listen to us and not know uh, Bonner Griffin one. But anyway, the whole point of it is just those, those scenes at the end of every round where they're throwing haymakers back and forth and their hands are just like flailing next to their body. Like one of those, uh, tube men out in front of, uh, uh, you know, like a used car dealer, yeah, like a car wash. Yeah. 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 One of those guys. And they're just throwing. And even after the bell rings, they like move away and their arms are still like flailing in the direction of the other guy. It is absolutely insane, and it's because of what used to be at stake for the Ultimate Fighter. Those two guys went into that fight thinking they weren't making the UFC without winning that fight. That That's not on the line anymore in the UFC. They, they like, know most of the guys on the show were going to get a chance anyway. So, like, that was brilliant. The violence was brilliant. The decision was brilliant. The way that Forrest, like, fell afterwards. Dude, it's, it's so good, and there's so many good shots. Uh, I can't add anything. If you haven't seen it, you lose your MMA nerd card credibility. Go watch it. Let's get to number one. I'm going to kick it to myself because this fight <laughs> means so much to me. Uh, it's Don Fry versus Takiyama at Pride 21. Just Google this. You don't even have to watch the whole fight. The what gift. it's really all about. <laughs> yeah, it's a gift. What it's all about is that first like 45, maybe 52 seconds where two guys just lock up in the center of the ring and just throw right hands at each other like a hockey fight. You've never seen anything like this. Takiyama's face by the end of it looks like hamburger meat. It's one of those things I would show to friends when I was in college, just out of college, when they're like, what's this MMA thing all about? You show them Fry versus Takiyama <laughs> and you just see their fucking reaction of how fucking surprised they are that two humans would put their bodies and their faces through that. I just don't even know what to say other than if you haven't seen it, go and Google it. It took place. Um, when did that take place? If it was pride 21. So it was circa oh, you're the expert, 2002. Ah. Yeah, it was 2002. I have the intern looking it up right now. Of course, Don Fry won six minutes into the first round, but it's really all about that first, like, minute 20, more or less. Mm -hmm. So go watch that. Let's review here. Our top five of the best slugfest of all time, Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia, WEC 48, Justin Gaethje versus Eddie Alvarez at UFC 218, the most recent one on the list, Hendo versus Shogun 1 at UFC 139, Bonner versus Griffin 1 at Tough 1 finale, and Fry versus Takiyama at Pride 21. Three out of the five had sequels. They were so good. They needed to run them back. Gumby. Just hit us up with a couple of the honorable mentions that we work so hard to try to narrow down and feel bad about having to leave off. Uh, the two that came to mind for me, uh, sort of a recent one and also uh, fitting for this weekend, uh, Edson Barboza versus Tony Ferguson. For, mm. for the amount of time it lasted, just absolutely insane. It, it ended with a submission, which is why maybe I was okay leaving it off. Also, if you've enjoyed all two and a half minutes of Pat Barry versus Czech Congo at some point in time, mm -hmm. I highly suggest enjoying that because it is fucking reckless and wild, for, but only for like two and a half minutes. So if you've got a coffee break or, or a smoke break real quick, you could probably pull it up on your phone and watch the whole damn thing. Um, and then the only other one, a little bit old school, and because I'm a Clay Guida mark, uh, I love Clay Guida versus Diego Sanchez uh, from back in the day because that's a sick fight too. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I got to mention, we had to narrow it down between Alvarez Gaethje and Gaethje uh, Johnson. The Johnson fight is also incredible. Johnson's uh, fighting this weekend, too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, any Steve Bosey fight kind of resembles a hockey fight, so you also have to throw him out there. With Sean O'Connell. The one with Sean O'Connell is nuts. That's the nuts one. And then I also got to throw out... I don't know that it's necessarily like a bombs away slugfest, and it's so unfortunate he broke his hand, but the aforementioned Anthony Pettis versus Tony Ferguson oh, yeah. was definitely <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely wild at the very least. So listen, if you love the list, if you hated the list, we want to hear about it. Hit us up at Top Turtle MMA. Let's move on to our other favorite segment on the show, really tied for first. 
Of course, it's the UFC Philly preview, headlined by Justin Gaethje versus Edson Barbosa. Gumby, I do wonder, does any company bring us this UFC on Philly preview? Well, of course, this UFC in Philadelphia preview is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Sheath Underwear is changing the way you wear underwear while you work out. Especially if you're one of those guys who does BJJ. There's no reason to wear boxers out there. You're going to be the the most hated man in the gym. And if you're wearing briefs, let's be honest, you're not getting the airflow you need to your junk. But you can with sheath underwear because sheath underwear has an innovative front pocket that promotes airflow to your to your special marbles. And in addition to that, it's got a moisture wicking technology. So when you start to break a sweat, your downstairs mix-up doesn't get all sweaty and nasty. So you're really going to want to check out these underwear. I don't roll outside of them. Heck, I wear them most of the time to work now too because they're comfortable. So check them out, sheathunderwear.com. And when you do, don't forget to enter promo code FLOW and get an extra 20% off. That's F-L-O, 20%. So the three fights we're going to talk about for this weekend. Uh, let's start in the main event. I'm going to take the underdog, which you'll see as a trend here. The underdog, Justin Gaethje over Edson Barboza. I know this sounds crazy because, right, he loves to just drop him and trade him. He's going to step toe-to-toe with, with Edson Barboza. I think that this matchup is probably terrible for Justin Gaethje, but I don't think that you can pick a Justin Gaethje matchup without flipping a coin, and I flipped the coin, and it came up Justin Gaethje. So I'm going to take Justin Gaethje as a plus-130 underdog. In uh, my second fight that I'm looking at, I'm looking at Michelle Waterson as a plus-135 underdog against Karolina Kowalkiewicz. I think Kovalkiewicz has definitely got a small striking advantage, but I also think uh, Michelle Waterson's grappling is a little bit more crafty, and she might have better output as the late rounds go on. She might be able to squeak away a couple extra rounds. Uh, and I also like the trajectory of her career right now versus the downward trajectory of uh, Coral. Kovalkiewicz. Uh, and in the third one, guess what? I'm taking the underdog. I'm taking the underdog, Josh Emmett, who right now is betting off at a plus 100 favorite to Michael Johnson's negative 115. Uh, or, yeah, negative 115 favorite. Uh, so I like Josh Emmett here because I think he could probably out-wrestle Johnson a little bit. They're both going to want to, like, wrestle box the whole fight, but, but I like... Uh, Josh Emmett here to control the fight a little better, and he seems to look a little bit better at featherweight than Michael Johnson does. So once again, that's Justin Gaethje over Edson Barboza, Michelle Waterson over Karolina Kovalkiewicz, and Josh Emmett over Michael Johnson. So I want to give a quick thank you to all of our sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Sisu Mouthguards, and Sheath Underwear, as well as Maroon Social. Make sure you download the app on your phone. I also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. I want to remind our listeners to, first of all, thank you for listening. And second of all, make sure to check us out on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. You can find all of our content there. And before we let you go, we wanted to leave you with one more interview. I talked with Kennedy Zachuku about his UFC debut against Paul Craig this weekend. Enjoy that, and we'll catch you next week. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Kennedy Zachuku, who fights Paul Craig this weekend at UFC on ESPN in Philadelphia. Kennedy, you are one of the very few people to fight twice on Dana White's Contender Series. What did sort of that experience teach you about, like, fighting in the big lights? Oh, fighting on the big lights was a huge, was a, it's a huge deal. And, um, you just, fighting, fighting, well, fighting twice just, is just more of a reassurance of your skill level. Letting you be able to go back to the drawing board, fix, fix what you have to fix and come back to, confirm you have what it takes to fight in that organization in front of the big boss Dana. Absolutely. And and so fighting in the, the big organization now, light, lightweight or light heavyweight rather, you're definitely not a lightweight. Light heavyweight is a division where a lot of people have been making quick rises up. Uh, what's sort of your goal for this year after this fight and, and sort of totally for this year? Well, this year I'm looking forward to fighting at least three times and I'm looking forward to dominating the, every fight I, I, I matched up against. And I just want to dominate, man, in this division because I know my skill level is way high and is up there. I just need time to like, I need to, I need a chance now to prove myself in that cage. And, and this is sort of your chance to prove yourself in this cage against Paul Craig. Paul Craig is a very noted grappler. He's gotten some really impressive submission wins in the UFC. Have you been doing anything in particular to prepare for his submission defense or his submission offense? 
Yeah, my my grappling is. I I think my grappling is the best grappling. I have the better grappling than almost the whole division. It's just I haven't shown it yet. And I I understand, you know, it, it, I understand people are giving him more credit in grappling than they are giving me. But like, if you see my grappling, man, my grappling is spectacular. Like, I have good grappling. But um, you guys are gonna witness that once I get in that cage this weekend. So, so you're expecting to see some grappling too? Because yeah, I, I 100% agree. Like what I've seen in your highlights, crazy head kick knockouts and things like that. Yeah, you, we're yeah. we're gonna see some grappling this weekend. Oh, definitely. If it goes to the ground, I'm gonna grapple. If it if it but I, I, since the fight starts on the feet, it, it's more than likely gonna end on the feet. But if he decides to shoot that double and go to the ground, I'm ready. I'm invite. I will definitely invite that, and I'm a. I have a lot of submissions, like a lot of submissions. When I first started MMA, I, I fell in love with jiu-jitsu. But just because I haven't shown it on my highlights and my tapes, but you guys are going to get to witness the whole, the, the, that vicious part of me and that, that I've gotten comfortable in that cage. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. Now, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Fortis MMA because we've been interviewing a couple of people from your team. We talked to Jeff Neal. We took to Macy Chayasan. Uh, we talked to Steven Peterson last week. Your, your team is really killing it this week. You, it, every single person on your team seems to be coming up big in a fight. Is, is there a sort of sense of that in the gym? Does that get everybody jacked up, or is it just kind of feel the same as it always has? Yeah, it gets everyone fired up. The energy runs through everybody. Even in doing training, you can feel that energy, that rise of energy flowing through everybody. Once one of our teammates get, gets a win, it's like a domino effect, and that energy keeps rolling. And, and we're proud of each other, and we're happy of how far we've come since, since we've opened that gym for this. And um, we're just going to keep on with taking that taking that hype train and running through everyone, every opponent we face. And so we, I've talked to a couple of members of your team about your coach, too, because Saif Saad is probably one of the, the more underknown coaches at this point in time, especially given what you guys have done even in this calendar year. Is there something about your coach that maybe the public doesn't know that you feel like they should know? Um, I think, uh, well, maybe his aggressiveness. Maybe they know about that because they've seen him corner us. Um. He's a good guy, good family guy. He has two kids, a wife, and he he's a great father. Absolutely. So that's definitely something we, we don't know too much about his personal life because yeah. he is all business when he talks. Now, I wanted to talk yeah. to you, too, a little bit about uh, sort of representing Nigeria in the cage. It, it's a big time for Nigerian fighters in the cage right now. You got Kamara Usman, who became the, the first Nigerian champion. You'll be fighting on the same card as Sadiq Yusuf, who is also Nigerian. What's sort of that like representing Nigeria at a time where Nigerian MMA is bigger than ever? It's great, you know. It is history in the making, and I'm um, I'm so proud of all these Nigerian and African fighters rising, uh, rising to the top. And um, it's definitely a, a, a big deal. And I I think I think mostly to God for giving me the life and giving me the effort and the opportunity to get this and run with it. And I'm just happy to represent. You know, it's it's a big time in the making. And so there also has been whisperings, uh, especially from Israel Adesanya, of possibly an event being in Nigeria or somewhere in Africa. How hard would you campaign to be on that card should that opportunity arise? Well, it would be good, but I just want to fight because I have one major goal in life to win that belt and to use that platform of winning that belt to help. Because you, as you know, my mom has the ALS. Lou Gehrig's disease, and my oldest brother has autism, so I've been working so hard. I've been the primary caregiver of both of them, and I've been helping them so much, and um, this is, fighting in Africa is also a great thing, but my major number one goal is to use that my platform of rising to the top in this organization to help kids with autism, like my brother does have, and um, and helping support people, helping contributing in charity events that are trying to find a cure for Lou Gehrig's disease that my mother has, and um, these are the two things that's on my priority list. I just want to use that my platform to help them. But um, um, if it, if the if the opportunity right passes by of me fighting in Africa, I will definitely embrace that, and that'll be a that'll be also a good opportunity to have. Awesome, and it's it's great to hear fighters when when they have real passions about things and, and are taking care of people other than themselves too. We we'd love to hear that kind of stuff. Now I do want to ask you real quickly about the fight in the cage. So you said you know you're willing to go to the ground with Paul Craig. You're willing to stand on the feet with Paul Craig. When that, that cage door closes, what is the expectation? How do you expect this one to end? 
Uh, this fight, if it if it stays on the feet, it ends on the feet. If it goes to the ground, I, I'm 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 vicious on the ground. I have so many tricks up my sleeve, and this is the time to prove myself in front of the boss Dana White. I know the the fight, the second fight in the contender wasn't as really as he expected. Uh, like he, I know he wanted me to go and be more violent, more, and um, I I was hesitant a little bit because I really wanted that contract. I didn't want nothing to go wrong, but you know I've overcome that fear of the jitters and nervousness. I've overcome all that, and I'm gonna show who I am in on in that cage this weekend against Paul Craig. I'm I'm a very vicious fighter, and this game as as unforgiving and predictable unpredictable as it gets, I understand that anything could happen at any moment, and I could get I could get defeated at any moment. But um, I've trained for this fight. I have complete confidence that I will finish Paul Craig in the first round, and mark my words. All right. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this was Kennedy Zachuku, who fights Paul Craig this weekend at UFC on ESPN in Philadelphia. Kennedy, we thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it for reaching out.